Hey, welcome to our weekly podcast. My name is Alan Spiegel. I'm the founder of uh, Safe Harbor International Network of Ministers and also Journey School of Ministry and also thegracechannel.com. And today we're in our podcast, we're going to be talking about something I think that probably at some points influenced all of us to some degree, and that's insecurities. We're going to be talking about winning over insecurities, but before we get into how to win over them, I want to walk through and explain very simply what insecurities are, uh, you know, how they came about, and then we will, whether we do it today or not, we will talk about how to overcome and win over insecurities. You know, there's nothing that a killer relationship, a ministry, or even a business any quicker than insecurities. Now, what is an insecurity? An insecurity is when you feel like you don't measure up in some arena, you know, uh, and primarily I'm going to be talking about from a standpoint of not measuring up to God. And so when you feel like you don't measure up to God, that you can never do enough, be enough to be pleasing to God, then you set out to try to make yourself feel the way that only God can make you feel. Now, that insecurity, you don't feel secure about who you are, who God made you to be. And when you don't feel that, you know, John wrote this in 1 John. He said, we have known and felt his love. And see, one of the things that's going to drive out, and we'll go into it in depth in probably a later podcast, not today, about how the love of God will drive out those insecurities. But when you do not feel loved by God, you will begin to look at other things to get you to feel the way that only God can make you feel. You know, in marriage, if you've got a lot of insecurities, you'll put pressure on your spouse to be or do or say or, or or something to build you up and you know and spouses should do that to some degree but but there that's not their primary primary responsibility in your life okay so you'll put pressure on your spouse to make you feel a certain way or maybe you will put emphasis on success because you'll feel better about yourself if, if you become financially successful. And nothing wrong with being financially successful, but that can in, in and of itself be the goal of our life because here's the problem. Anytime, now listen to this, anytime we look at anything other than God, the work that Jesus did for us at the cross to find our security and we start feeling better about ourselves. Let's just use business for a minute. You know, if, if you think making X amount of dollars is going to make you feel good and you make that amount of money, you may or may not feel good, but let's say you do. Let's say you, you say, you know, I want to make, I want, I want to pocket after taxes a million dollars a year. That sounds pretty good. And when I do that, I'm going to feel good about me. But here's a problem. If you do that and you do not maintain that, how are you going to feel? You hear what I'm saying? You see, anything external 
You know, the Bible talks about how everything that is external, it's, it's outward, it's here. It, you know, Paul said it's, in Corinthians, it's temporal, subject to change. And the moment that we put our uh, feeling good about ourselves in um, things, people, whatever, in ministry, the size of our ministry, the moment we do that and we hit a nosedive, how we're going to feel. See, there's only one thing that can give you a constant, ongoing security and that you can feel good about yourself is understanding the price that God paid for you. Listen, God knew what he was getting when he got you, and he's not disappointed that you belong to him now. You know, you're, you're not surprising him. He wanted you. He wanted to be in a relationship with you with all of our problems. You know, he wanted that. He loves us. And, and, and thank God that's something we can't mess up. You know, I've said it. If you've heard me teach much, you've heard me say it. You know, I can make a decision. You can make a decision that would change how everyone in our life feels about us. But you can't make a decision that would ever change how God feels about you. Think about that. You can't make a decision. You can't do enough wrong for God to change how he feels about you. So that becomes my security. God's love is absolutely unconditional. We've talked about that in some of our other podcasts. You know, we tout and boast that we as believers love unconditionally. No, we don't. To love unconditionally means a lot of different things, but one of the things it means is that you do not treat someone any different no matter what they do. Now, God doesn't treat us any different no matter what we do. Now, we do with people. We say we don't, but we do. You know, I was talking one time about that in church many years ago when we were pastoring in Florida, and a man came up and he said, you know, Pastor Allen said, I take exception to what you said today. And I said, well, you know, I thought, take a number, go to the back of the line. I'm sure you're not the only one. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, you, you said we don't love unconditionally. He said, I love unconditionally. I said, no, you're not. I said, because again, that means I treat you no different no matter what you do. And it happened to be that day that, that the, the man's wife was not at church with him. I said, okay. So you love your wife unconditionally. Oh, yeah, I love her unconditionally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you treat her no different, treat her no different. I said, okay. So what if today you went home from church, and by accident we got out of church a little bit early, and she wouldn't expect you to be home as early as you got home, and you caught her in the bed with another man? Would you change how you relate to her? Well, but I still love her. I didn't say, you, I didn't say you'd stop loving. I said, how are you going to treat her? And you might get past it. You might work through it. But temporarily, you are going to change how you relate to her. You see, when God uh, came down in the cool of the day, the Bible says, when Adam and Eve sinned, said he came down in the cool of the day just like he always did to have conversation with them. To talk with them, they had partaken of the forbidden fruit. And he came down to have conversation just like he always had. That's what I'm saying. He knew what had happened. 
It, it was no surprise when he came down and walked through the garden and couldn't find them. You know, of course, God's God. He knows where they were. And, and he cries out to Adam, Adam, where are you? Now, that was not like playing hide-and-go-seek. We're trying to figure out where Adam's at. God wasn't trying to figure out where he was at. It was a, a, the cry of a father wanting his son and daughter to understand where they were. Okay, so God calls out to Adam and Eve. Where are you? Well, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we were afraid. Have you eaten of the forbidden fruit that I told you not to eat of? Yeah. God didn't change how he related and loved them. Now, we know that he drove them out of the garden. Now, why did he do that? If he doesn't change how he relates to us, it was an act of love. Because if they were to eat of the um, tree of life, they would have lived forever. He drove them out so they wouldn't eat of that tree because if they had eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived forever in a fallen state. So God didn't treat us any different. That becomes our security. That becomes, uh, you know, what we hold on to. You know, when you think about, you know, you know, wanting to be secure, think about Jesus. You know, I've, I've used this so many times, and, 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 and like Paul sitting in the book of Colossians, you know, I, it does not bother me, I'm paraphrasing, it does not bother me to go over these things with you again and again and again, because he wanted them to get it. And it doesn't bother me to go over these things with you again and again and again, because I want you to get it. And Paul said to the, to the church at Colossae, he says, it's a safety net for you. I'm building a safety net under you. You, you, you know, when the, the person walks the high rope, you know, and they got a, or they're on a trapeze, and they got a safety net under them. Well, that's, that's what Paul was saying, that going over these things again and again was doing for them. It was causing them to have a safety net. So when, when you look at this and you think about Jesus, you know, Jesus when he started his ministry, that when being baptized, remember that when John, you know, wanted to uh, Jesus wanted John to baptize him, and 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 John's like, no, I'm I'm not even worthy to undo your sandals, and I, you you need to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, John, let it be, so I can fulfill all righteous requirements. So Jesus goes down into the water. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came down in the shape form of a dove. Man, what an awesome sight and experience that must have been. Holy Spirit came down in the shape form of a dove. The Father spoke from heaven, and he said, This is my beloved Son. Talking about Jesus. This is what he says. And who I'm well pleased. Now, wait a minute. He had not performed a miracle. He hadn't preached a sermon. He had not raised the dead. He had done nothing ministerially uh, from a ministerial standpoint. Uh, he, had, he had done nothing. But yet the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. The Message Bible says something like this. It says, he's marked by my love. He's the delight of my life. You know, when uh, we had our first grandchild, uh, Abby, 
the Message Bible came out about the same time as as she was born. It might have been within a year or two. I don't I don't remember exactly, but it, but it came out during about the time she was born. And I was reading that verse of scripture. I went through and, and I read. Uh, then it was it was only the uh, Gospels and a part of the New Testament. Then they expanded it to the New Testament, and then of course now the whole Bible. But I remember reading that scripture in Matthew three when Jesus was being baptized, and like I said, the King James said, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased." Again, before he performed a miracle, before he preached a sermon, before he fasted, before he did anything, the Father said, "I'm pleased with him." So he started his ministry knowing the Father was pleased with him. And I've got good news for you. Because of what Jesus did, he's pleased with you. So anyway, so the Message Bible came out about the time Abigail was born. And I was reading that scripture, you know, in in Matthew 3, when Jesus was being baptized. And it says that uh, he's marked by my love. He is the delight of my life. And I tell you, it hit me like a ton of bricks. When Abigail was born, and the same is true with all of our other grandchildren now, but she was the first biologically um, um, birthed child in our family. And we have two adopted grandchildren that we love dearly. And so when, when Abigail was born, there was a, a love unlocked in my heart that I didn't know existed. You know, I thought grandparents that I had observed that are crazy about their grandkids, there's something wrong with them. Yeah, man, they're, they're, they're off the edge. Well, I became one of those grandparents that I said I never would. I, I became a grandparent that people make fun of, you know, so I'm, so I'm so incredibly proud of our grandchildren. But I thought about that scripture in Matthew 3 when I looked at Abigail, and I thought, She is marked by my love. She is the delight of my life. And she and all the other grandchildren still are. They are the delight of my life. One of our grandsons are coming over today. You know, a legend, Legend Benjamin. He's going to come over and and, uh, cut our grass. He's going to spend the night with us, and we're going to smoke some ribs, and and we're going to have a big time. I love my grandchildren. And so I thought I, th- I had to throw that in. Of course, I'm a grandpa, you know. I had to throw that in because God's your father. God's your father delights over you. You are the delight of his life. Whether you're doing good or whether you're doing bad, you're still the delight of his life. I remember when Abigail was just a few days old. She was laying on the bed one day, and I was just laying across the bed looking at her. Better than a movie, you know, as you've heard me say. And, and I, I was just looking at her and, and, and tearing up, just thinking, man, I didn't know a love like this existed. And I looked at her, and I thought, man, there's nothing about her I would change. To me, she was perfect, and to me, she still is. I know that that's not reality, but to me, she is. And to her, grand, her, her grandma, Gia, and she is. And so I looked at her and I thought, you know what? There's nothing about her I would change. I love her so much. I mean, how could you love a human being that you'd only known for three or four days as much as I loved her? And and then I laid there and I looked at her. Now, uh, listen close to what I'm saying. This is not just about grandchildren here. (laughs) I could talk about that all day. 
But listen to this. I laid there and I looked at her. Man, I almost choked up thinking about it. I laid there and I looked at her and I said, oh, man, one day she's going to grow up. She's going to become a teenager. And she's going to make some choices and she's going to have some attitudes that that we're not going to approve of. And I thought, how will I feel then when the delight of my life, the one that's marked by my love, and all of my grandchildren are that way to me, all of them, how am I going to feel when she talks an attitude? How am I going to feel when she, you know, doesn't do maybe what she should do? And the Lord stopped me. Man. He stopped me and he said, I never stopped looking at you the way that you're looking at Abigail right now. Son, you are the delight of my life. You have been marked by my love. And nothing you could ever do, Alan, would ever change that. See, that brings security to me. That makes me feel good about me. And therefore, I don't have to depend on, and I appreciate everything my wonderful, wonderful wife does for me. I appreciate the way that that when I have a knee surgery, she serves me. When I'm not having a knee surgery, how she serves me and loves me and, and, and pets and pampers me. I love that so very, very, very much. But take it to another level. God even loves us more than that. See, I can make a decision. It could change how Janice feels about me. Not saying she wouldn't love me. She she would still love me. Her heart might be broken, but she would still love me. But I could never do anything, and you can't either, to cause God to treat you any different than he's already treating you. So I want you to rest in this. There's something you can't mess up, and that's how God feels. God's love never changes. He doesn't love you if and when. He loves you because of who he is, and that's how Jesus started his ministry. He started, listen, knowing the Father was pleased with him, and because of that, he didn't use his ministry to measure up. He didn't have to have the acceptance of everyone. He didn't have to cater to people to keep them happy because if they are displeased with me, I'll feel bad about myself. No, he didn't do that. You know, there was times when people would come to Jesus and say, well, at one time they said, uh, my family's got an inheritance issue going on here. Some of the families passed away and, you know, we're fussing over the inheritance. Will you come and settle it for me or for, or for us? And he said, no. That's not my responsibility. You go figure it out. See, for most of us, we would not take that bowl of a stand because, one, our very insecurities, and we got to keep everybody happy. Listen, Pastor, if you're listening to this, you can't keep everybody happy. You can't keep everybody happy. You are going to let people down. Whether it's justified or not, they are going to be disappointed in you. But if our security's in Jesus... And what he says, think about this, and I'm running out of time here, but I want to get this in. Jesus one time preached a sermon 
talking about taking of his the bread is 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 his flesh and the wine was his blood and if you don't take this you're not a part of me and he goes through this whole deal and get this the Bible says the whole crowd left everybody left and he turned around to his right hand guys and ladies and and you know the disciples that were his his team and said are you going to and I don't remember if it's Peter or who it was, but I think, I think it might have been Peter. They said, Lord, where else can we go? You're the only one that has words of eternal life. So meditate on, until next time, my security. Remind yourself, my security is because of what Jesus did for me. It's not, listen, my security is not because of what I've done for him, but it's what he did for me. Blessings to you. I pray that this will influence your emotions, that you'll feel better about yourself. Because when you do, you're going to feel better about everybody around you. You'll treat people different. You know, A.W. Tozer said, and I'm going to stop right here for real this time. A.W. Tozer said, the most influential and powerful thing in your life right now it's what you think about when you think about God. And when you think about God, if you don't think of a God that loves, accepts us, is on our side, you're not thinking about the right God. More next time. Blessings to you.